This morning we turn to Psalm 51 from the Word of God. It's my intention to preach through this psalm, either as communion sermons or preparatory and even applicatory sermons. We have considered verse 1, and this morning we'll consider verses 2 and 3, but we'll read the whole psalm. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, that thou, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the prayer of our text, verses 2 and 3, is the very same prayer that we make as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning. A prayer for the washing of our sin, which washing is a perfect cleansing of our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. We make that prayer as we come to the Lord's Supper because we know ourselves as stained with sin. Whoever comes to the Lord's Supper without this prayer either does not know they are stained with sin or knowing they are stained with sin doesn't desire to be washed of that stain. Such an individual would then profane the Lord's Supper and would eat and drink damnation to themselves, as we're going to read, knowing 
We are sinners, therefore, is not a reason to absent ourselves or abstain from the Lord's Supper because we do not come to testify thereby that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves, but we come praying for our sins to be washed. We make this prayer by faith in the same confidence as the psalmist here, David. Namely, in the confidence that we will certainly receive that which we ask of the Lord, the washing of our sins. This is the prayer of the sinner who knows not only that his sin has made himself dirty, stained by that sin, but knows that when he prays to God for the washing of that sin, God will certainly hear his request and cleanse that stain. And the reason for that confidence is not the request itself, but the blood of Christ, which is not only the cleansing agent of that stain, but also the basis for the request and the confidence of the sinner making that request. Consider with me this morning the main thought of the text, which is a sinner's prayer for washing. We consider the request, we consider then the explanation of that request, and then finally the answer to that prayer. The request. It's important for us to understand that not everyone who comes to the Lord's table, not even any everyone who comes to the Lord's table as a sinner, makes this request to the Lord. This is indeed the request of a sinner. But it is the request of a sinner who knows that he needs that the stain of sin be removed. It is the request of a particular sinner. Now the question in the first place is what is the particular stain that this sinner desires to be washed by the Lord? And the answer is, of course, the stain of sin. But more particularly, we must ask the question, well, the stain of sin in what regard? The stain here in verses 2 and 3 that the psalmist asks to be washed is not the polluting power of sin. So that the washing that he requests is the washing which is the work of the Holy Spirit sanctifying him. That is, delivering him from the bondage of the power of sin. Now, we might think so and have good reason to think so because the Scriptures do in fact speak many times of cleansing and washing of sin in that sense. That is, the sense of washing one from sin's power. For example, Ephesians 5.26, Christ gave Himself for the church that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. And there the reference is to the cleansing of sin's power. And we may know also exactly because that is the case, and it is the Word of God in Scripture, 
that indeed as we come to the Lord's Supper, we may know that this is indeed one of the benefits of the Lord's Supper, that indeed one of them is that God cleanses us or washes us from sin's power so that sin no more reigns over us. But that's not the request here. What the psalmist requests to be washed away is particularly the stain and of the guilt of sin, the stain of sin's shame. That is, the washing of justification or the washing of the forgiveness of sins. That's the particular request here. Now elsewhere he's going to also request for a cleansing from sin's power. But that's not exactly the request here. That's evident from the situation. The psalmist informs us that he wants to be washed from a particular sin, from this sin, in the singular. And what he has in mind there is the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. Now it's true also that he speaks in the same breath of that sin in the plural, my transgressions. But the idea there is he uses the plural because David understands that that one sin of adultery came with a multitude of sins, produced a multitude of sins. It resulted in the further sin of murder of her husband. With that sin came covetousness and envy and all sorts of other sins. But his prayer is first that he be delivered from the stain of that one particular sin of adultery. And then, not in the sense that he's released from the power of that sin, that is the lust, the power of the lust underlying that adultery, but he desires to be freed or washed from the guilt and shame of that sin. That's also evident from God's answer. If you read through the psalm, it'll become evident that God's answer to this prayer is that David is done with that sin. That God's answer to that sin is that David has been so thoroughly washed from that sin, it ceases to exist. He's finished with it. It no more exists. And that's not really true with regard to the sanctifying power of God's sin in this life. When God goes to work to deliver us from the power of sin, He does so that sin no more has dominion over us, but that sin itself is still there in our flesh, in our depravity. The prayer then is to be washed from the guilt and shame of a particular sin. It is a request for God's justification, for God's forgiveness of that sin. The reason then for the sin is, or the prayer is, the adultery with Bathsheba. It so stained David with the guilt and shame of that action, that sin. He understood he deserved the punishment of God, that that sin had exposed him to the wrath of God and covered him with shame and had done so in the sight of God, in the sight of the people over which he ruled, and in his own sight. It is in his own conscience. And he wants that all washed away. To be more specific then, this is a prayer for God to speak His blessed word of pardon to His heart and to His conscience and to His soul. It is a prayer 
that God speak to him and say, David, David, I declare you innocent. I do not impute that adultery with Bathsheba to you so that you must pay for that sin. Instead of what you deserve, I impute to you my righteousness. My own righteousness. That righteousness that is perfect. Perfect obedience. Which righteousness was clearly revealed in my Son Jesus Christ. And especially and wonderfully revealed in the death of my Son Jesus Christ on the cross. It is a request that he hear God say, your sins are forgiven. The guilt of them, the shame of them, what those sins deserve is gone and taken away. The basis of this prayer, the ground for this prayer, for the washing of the guilt and shame of his sin, is the cross and suffering then of the death of Jesus Christ. It's also, as I said, the confidence of that prayer. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that satisfied the righteousness of God, that satisfied the demand of God that those sins be punished with death. It was the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross, the sacrifice of the life of the Son of God in our flesh, who was given over to, given over to death under the wrath of God against our sin, that is the basis of this prayer and the confidence of the sinner making that prayer. It is a prayer, therefore, that the psalmist know in his own conscience that the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ was in his own stead, was in David's stead, was for him. It is a prayer that hear God speak that this benefit of the cross is applied to him to speak that word in his own heart so that he knows the stain of his guilt and shame is entirely removed. It is the prayer for the washing that God flood his heart with his forgiving word so that that word so flood his heart that it washes out any word of condemnation, any word of guilt, any word of shame so that he hears only this word, I have forgiven you, David. All your sins are removed, paid for. There is no more guilt and shame that you should have. This is even evident from the reason the psalmist gives. Upon making the request, the reason he gives is this, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's given there the reason for his prayer. He's telling us there what he expects, what he desires. Notice he does not say, wash me, for I feel the power of sin in me. I feel the lust of adultery in me. And I desire to have that all taken away and broken. Now that's not what he says. Wash me, for there's something I know. My sin is ever before me. And what he's talking about that is the guilt of sin, the shame of sin. It's ever before he. He's praying this. He desires God speak His word of forgiveness 
so that the shame and guilt of that sin which is ever before me, and which he knows is entirely gone and replaced with God's own word of forgiveness. That's what he's talking about. Now, what's the explanation for this? Well, the explanation is this. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's giving the explanation. Now we have to understand the explanation for what? He's not there giving the explanation for why his sins will be forgiven. Not giving the explanation for why God will grant his request. But he's giving the explanation for why he makes the request. We're being told here who it is that makes such a request. So the answer to that question has to do with some, with the kind of sinner this is. The kind of sinner making the request. It's a repentant sinner. That is, a sinner who believes and knows something. The sinner who desires to be washed from the guilt and shame of his sin because the guilt of that shame of that sin is acknowledged and never before him. That's what he's telling us. And that's not every sinner. Nor is that the request that every sinner makes. There are myriads of sinners who will never acknowledge that they are sinners. Even though their conscience may even be filled with guilt and shame. There are plenty of sinners who know their sin and may even acknowledge that they're sinners, but will never make this prayer for the washing of sins. Rather, they hide their sins before God. They minimize their sins before God. They even justify their sin before God. We must understand that David is not here giving the reason why he deserves to be washed as if his acknowledgment and the knowledge of his sin earns God's forgiveness. Or is the cause a reason God even forgives him? The only thing that deserves that is the obedience and suffering of Christ. Is the death of Christ. The love of Christ. That's the only ground and basis for the request or the washing. Acknowledging your sins knowing your sins, being sorry for your sins, and even repenting of your sins deserves nothing. Even praying as a repentant sinner deserves nothing. It does not pay for those sins. It does not deserve the forgiveness of God. And we're going to see that further in the Psalm 2. David then, in this explanation, is not teaching this. He's not asserting this. That his acknowledgement of his sin, that having his sin ever before him, that is, his repentance and sorrow of heart, and even his prayer, is a condition that he fulfills before God will wash away his sin. He's not standing before God making this prayer and say, I see now that this is something I must do upon which God depends. The very fact that he's praying to God is the acknowledgement that that's not true. The acknowledgement that he's an unworthy sinner, that he is unworthy of God and his forgiveness by the blood of Christ. But it is indeed the knowledge of repentance. So that this is the repair, prayer of a repentant sinner. And the history demonstrates 
that among the things that David knows when he makes this prayer is that this was the work of God also. It wasn't his own work. Even though it comes before he makes the prayer, and even though it comes before he will hear God's answer that he is forgiven, he knows full well that God worked that. And he didn't work it himself. And because God worked it, God cannot be dependent upon his own work to do something further. That's an impossibility. Almost a year, he tells us, he hid this sin from God. He tried to hide this sin from everyone. But it was there in his own heart. And he still did nothing. No such prayer was uttered from him until God came. Before to coming, God had broken his bones, he tell us in the psalm. God had chastised him. God had brought evil upon him. God had weighed him down. And then God came. And God said, David, thou art the man. And that chastisement of God, that word of God, broke his heart. So that now he stands before God, praying, God, wash away my sin. Nevertheless, David's reason brings out that our knowledge of our sins is the only way one receives this Word of God. It's the way God has ordained that that Word come, and we hear that Word. There is no prayer, and there is no washing or forgiveness for sinners in response to that prayer who does not know his transgressions and whose sin is not before him continually. Now this knowledge of the psalmist is no ordinary knowledge. It's very much different from the knowledge that any, every sinner actually has of his sin. The knowledge simply of the conscience that condemns him. It's much more than that. Otherwise every sinner would make this prayer before God. Every sinner could be able to say what the psalmist says, but that's not what happens. That is, it's not merely intellectual knowledge of the fact that he has sinned. It's not merely an admission, yep, I did that. I got caught, and I have to admit that that's what I did. The fact, again, from history is that even though David knew full well, intellectually, in his mind, perhaps you might even have gotten him to admit that. Yes, I sinned. He wasn't still acknowledging his sin as he speaks of in the text, nor was that sin ever before him in the sense of the text. What's the difference? And the difference is this is the knowledge of faith. This is that experiential knowledge of faith in the heart, which is the knowledge of what his actions really are in the sights of God. It is the confession and admission of really knowing what they are, and then before God, and no one else, that they are against God. Look at the three terms he uses. Calls his sins iniquity, that is perversity, depravity, in comparison to God, in comparison to His law, His goodness, His righteousness, and His grace. It's sin. That is, it misses the mark of God's perfection, misses the mark of His righteousness, there's no comparison that can be made there and calls it transgressions. That is, a deliberate, willful rebellion against God. That's 
the difference. Not only that, but I hope you see, we're pointing out here what true repentance looks like as opposed to simply admitting you did something, and perhaps even crying and sorrowing over the consequences of sin and many other things that sinners will do without making this prayer, without being repentant. It's an acknowledgement that his sin is great, so great, it deserves all the wrath of God eternally. Not just a whack, not just a poke, or a stern look, but it deserves what was dumped on Christ. That's why he prays, wash me thoroughly. That is, wash me with a great washing. Wash and wash and wash and wash. That's the idea of that phrase. Why? Why does he make that prayer? Because he understands how great that sin is. This isn't a little bird dropping on him. This is a stain that covers him and a stain that he tried perhaps even to scrub away with his own works and his own righteousness and found it failed. It was there, always there. And part of his repentance was the acknowledgement that only God can wash it away. None of his neighbors, not himself, not even the announcement of the priest really could wash away that shame and guilt. Only God could. And that's why, too, he says, my sin is ever before me. There are many who take sins lightly, who perhaps only think of their sins or are reminded of their sins when you confront them, when you bring it in front of them. They may come before you and cry and bawl about their sins and how terrible they feel about this and that, and then are quickly done with thinking about their sin. Except perhaps how they can go back to that sin. Perhaps go back to that sin without getting caught. No, he says, my sins are ever before me because I understand how bad they are, how terrible they are. It's all I can think of. It consumes me. It's destroying me. And only God can take that away. God wash me. God cleanse me. He's not concerned here with what the neighbor thinks. He's not concerned here even with what the elders think. He's not concerned with what anybody thinks. All he's concerned about is God's view of him. What God thinks of him. How God sees him. And so he prays, God, forgive me. That is, tell me. Remind me. I need to hear that these sins are washed away. Washed away because of the obedience of someone else. Washed away so that there is no penalty, no payment. No, nothing that I owe. Washed away so thoroughly so that I don't even think about trying to pay for them myself. As he's going to say, so that I may even bring sacrifices again. Because I acknowledge the sacrifices I was bringing before I brought perhaps to wash away my sin. But they didn't. Only the blood of Christ. No blood of sheep and goats and wash away so that I go away after hearing thy word knowing what I am not because of what I make myself but because of what God says about me if so then there will be an answer and only one answer from God 
And understand, too, it's going to be developed more in the psalm, and even history shows that. That answer comes immediately. It comes in the same heart and soul that acknowledge this is sin, where that sin is ever before the person. That's where it's heard. It's not simply heard with the ears. It's not simply seen with the visible eyes, experienced in the body, but experienced in the soul, known in the soul, heard in the soul, received in the soul, the same that is filled with guilt and shame. That was the case with David. As soon as the prophet came and said, David, thou art the man, he knew. He knew that sin was ever before him. He confessed his sin. He prayed to God. And he immediately heard, Thou art forgiven. Your sins are gone. The Lord hath put away your sins, said the prophet. That sin was, of course, objectively washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ quite some time later. But long before that, it was subjectively washed away in David's own heart and soul so that those sins were gone. That's the answer God has prepared for you this morning in answer to your prayer. In answer to your prayer, the prayer of the repentant sinner, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. God has prepared an answer. And God is giving that answer. God gives that answer to you through the preaching of the Word. Your sins are forgiven. And this is the basis for that forgiveness. This is the reason for that forgiveness. And if that word is not heard, or our faith is weak because we cannot hear that word due to that weak faith, God says, I'm going to make it very simple and plain. Here's Christ, the broken body and shed blood for you. Now eat and drink. Do so in remembrance of Him. And in that way, you will hear Him speak. Speak in a way that we don't even regularly hear Him speak, namely through His Word. His Word forgiving our sins through our ears and the ears of our faith, but rather in our own soul. It is if it goes right into our own soul and displaces the guilt and shame of that sin. That's God's Word. That's God's Word of forgiveness. That's God's answer to your prayer. Amen.